Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast. By the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples and I'm here tonight with Kurt Lavins and Bruce McCurdy. Tough, tough loss, gentlemen. Tough loss. Tough loss. What do you say, hey? How are you doing tonight, gents? Boy. We're, the oil country is shell-shocked, disheart, you know, disoriented, discombobulated, and uh, that was that was that was bad. I'm glad to be on here with you guys, just so I don't have to be on Twitter right now. Yeah, fair enough. Well, hopefully, uh, we won't be as. Anyway, tonight, here we go. Here we go. We are going to do instead of our usual two things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast because it's the three of us we're going to change the format and go with in honor of kurt levins who every sunday writes his fantastic fabulous nine things column we are going to go with nine things about the edmonton Oilers in tonight's game and i'm gonna i'm gonna just start it off with the obvious just just you know for years now i have referred to the uh whenever the Oilers have a, a bad goal against we call it the sequence of pain well i think this is going to this is a historic sequence of pain for edmonton Oilers fans this will be seared into our collective memories for four generations as they said on uh, avatar uh hmm. yeah that this is a bad one this is a real bad one the oilers up four to one the game completely in control they, they, and they had played such a good game up into that moment. They really had. They'd scored on the. They, they scored the way they needed to score, getting in there and getting in on rebounds and tipping it in and doing all those good things. And then it just caved in. And you know, it brings to mind other massive collapses. Most recently, the 2017 one against the Anaheim Ducks, where with a few minutes left, they they let in three goals. It was a shorter time frame even. It was even more painful and more horrible. But it was that was different because it was marred by controversy, you know, Ryan Kessler grabbing the leg of the goalie uh, of Talbot and you know, it shouldn't have happened. The ref that it was a it was a total fuster cluck from the referees. <laughs> this was a fuster cluck by the Edmonton Oilers. They lost their composure, man. I, yep. I just saw a team that lost their composure from top to bottom, from the best player to the least player on the team, they lost their composure and they lost the game because of it. And it's really, it's a really painful way to lose the game. And Never. I will leave it there. I will leave it there. That's my first thing. Well, I'll give you a list. These all happened in the playoffs. Uh, the one that I refer to as the debacle on Manchester, where Edmonton led LA Kings 5 nothing in the third period and let it get away in overtime. Uh, game one of the 2006 Stanley Cup Finals when the Oilers had a 3-0 lead in Carolina and let that one fritter, fritter that one away and in the process lost Dwayne Rollison to injury and wound up losing on a terrible last-minute miscommunication between the backup goalie and one of the defensemen uh, who will remain nameless for this purpose. Uh, then there was the, uh, and they lost five to four and started the sequence of pain on a lost series. And there's the one you referenced, David, in Anaheim, where the orders led three nothing with, I think, four. And Anaheim pulled their goalie three times and scored three goals 
while the goalie was told to tie it. And then they extended the overtime to a painful two period and a half of overtime before Corey Perry, of all people, scored to win it. Like, it was just a horrible nightmare uh, the way that game ended. And again, that started the Oilers on the slippery slope to a series loss. And then you add that, the, this one to that list. Three-goal lead, that game needs to be won. A professional team closes that game out, and the Oilers did not get the job done, and they and they pissed it away. There was some real bad hockey in there, and as you say, they lost their composure, and it's just not good enough. Indeed, indeed. I'm just gonna be posting this YouTube link. Bruce, you're. I don't know, if Kurt. Did you notice that Bruce had a little gravelly there or something? A wee bit, but he's smoothed out now. Smoothed out now. Smooth as. All right. Uh, Kurt, what's your first thing? Well, my first thing is Josh Archibald. Um, and I, I take no pleasure in saying this uh, because, I mean, Josh Archibald is one of those uh, heart and soul players who gives you everything he has every night. Highly effective role player. Um, ticks off a dozen boxes. However, um, I tweeted when the penalty was called you cannot take that kind of penalty at that spot on the ice at that moment in the game in those circumstances you cannot it was an undisciplined penalty the referee got it right nobody blew a call uh and i remember tweeting out boy you know i love josh josh archibald but you can't take that penalty boom Four two, and at that point, I turned to my wife and I said, "This isn't going to be good, because mm -hmm. in any sport, but particularly in hockey, momentum is everything, and it, the momentum just rolled right down the hill." But the fire was started with the Archibald penalty, and while I'm not prepared to put the whole loss on the shoulders of one man, um, that's a penalty that, for a guy that's such a team player, that was a selfish penalty. And Why do you say I, that, Kurt? Well, because you have you have to read the situation of the game. The game's under control. Uh, the Jets have no juice. All you need to do is finish it out. He was angry because he took a slash to the stick. And instead of recognizing the situation like a veteran player should, and just smiling, turning the other cheek, and skating away, he went after him and retaliated. And I can tell you... Referees will call the retaliation end of those penalties 98 times out of 100. And this one they did, and they got it right. And that's why I think it's selfish. Uh, a good team player does not put his team in that spot at that moment in the game. Uh, the Jets are a team that really rolls on emotion. You gave them some air to breathe. Uh, and they got a whole set of lungs full of it, and they never turned back. And so, as I say, I got all kinds of time for Josh Archibald. But that surely will go down as one of the most regrettable moments in his NHL career. Uh, here's a well, I'm on Twitter just now tweeting out the link here. And Sean Patrick Ryan, who has written for the Calder Hockey, great, he's great writing about prospects. He, he says, quote, I've never seen a coach treat his timeouts like Fabergé eggs like Tip does. He must have hundreds saved up over the years by now. He's so afraid of using one too soon that he never actually uses one when it is needed. It truly is amazing. And, and Kurt, I didn't. I, I was not happy at that moment when, when they scored the 4-2 goal. I didn't think it was the end of things, but I did think, hey, call a timeout. Like, just mm -hmm. calm everybody down. 
You know, just stop this game, slow their momentum down, do what you can here to to gather the troops. And, you know, I might have been a good move by Tippett. Might have been good. good might have been Tippett. Uh, so we're back to me now with my uh, second item. And oh, I'm I got go... a thing, don't I? Oh, did you not? Okay, Bruce, you go. Sorry, nope. missed. I was nope. out of line right. there. Yeah. All right. Well, go I'm, I'm going. I guess I'm going to go in in order. I'm going to start with uh, Leon Drysaddle bossing the first period of this game, which the Oilers bossed, out shooting the Jets 17-7, and outscoring them two nothing. Both goals coming off the stick of Drysaddle, who fired five shots on net that period, had three hits and a takeaway, and was laying on the body. Man, did he ever smash? Was it Andrew Kopp down in oh. the defensive corner? to break one extended jet cycle and just walk away with the puck. And at that moment in time, the Oilers looked unbeatable because their first line was so dominating the game with the three big, uh, highly skilled players on it uh, with the puck on the string and Leon playing in beast mode. Uh, that's an incredible player to watch. Uh, and he later made a great pass that up uh, the third Oilers goal but he was um uh but he was in uh um in the first period he was just on another level already uh, altogether and uh, i thought he was a huge part of the reason that the oilers jumped out the way that that they did just jumping on a pair of great uh chances and making no mistake with either of them and so. they finally got some bounces eh? like the, there's the point shot from uh from uh cuckoo on uh, mm -hmm. Dreisaitl's first one. You know, that it goes off a Jets player over to Dreisaitl and he, he's able to gather it in and tuck it in. Such a great skill play that he made there. And mm -hmm. uh, the same one on the power play goal. It was a five, was that the five on three? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, his, his, the second goal of the game from Dreisaitl is on the five on three. Nonetheless, they also get a really good bounce there. It just comes squirting out of him and he puts it right in. So felt like mm -hmm. the hockey guards were on Edmonton's side at that moment but not to be alrighty let's go to when things start turning bad a little bit uh, not a little bit but a lot of bit um, and this is in the third period after that power play goal and when I say the orders lost composure it was I don't know they just the, 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 the third goal which is at even strengths starts with a Kulikov turnover and it's about this time, and I've been having this thought throughout the series that I was have been wishing that Chris Russell was in the lineup for the Edmonton Oilers and not Kulikov in that partnership with Larson, if I'm completely honest. Kulikov has played well. He hasn't played poorly or anything. I just I just think Russell's a, a better defensive hockey player, and we the Oilers could have used his settled play uh, against the Jets. And so this was one of those moments. Um, it goes out... Uh, it goes out and... Um, to the point and there's a there's a quick shot actually an, you know, quite an excellent shot i think it's pionk who gets it off really quickly and then jujar kara who has made such a fantastic play on the fourth goal to tip it in he's puck watching and i uh, he knows it a second later because the guy he's supposed to be covering blake wheeler goes in and scores and that kind of that moment i don't really like the 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 point shot was was fantastic and it's the guys who might have blocked that shot, I think, were Archibald and Cassian. That was a pretty tough shot to block, but 
Kara has got to be defensively aware. He's got to be watching that man who's coming in, Wheeler, and he wasn't. And Archibald hockey and happens Shore. fast. Yeah, oh, Archibald and Shore. The, ch me. the checking line. That... Yeah, hockey happens fast, but not so. You, but you just know that the danger is those guys creeping in, and Kara had to cover one of them, and he failed to do so. Then on the uh, the fourth and tying goal. McDavid is the one with the turnover. And, um, I mean, I, I was listening to, to Biaxa and, and the others after the game, and I can't remember who's, who thought. It's just such an uncustomary play from Connor McDavid to turn it over. But Biaxa was saying, uh, when momentum starts swinging against you, things like that happen. But, again, that's, that's Connor McDavid, who never makes that play, who never just coughs it up up the boards like that, and he did it. And, bam, back to the... the uh, Mar Morrissey at the point, and then Pugliarvi, they just struck me as they were all over-eager in that moment. They were too aggressive, or uh, you know, he, he goes out there, and he, he just has to get in, stay in his way, and not, but he does the, the spin around, which is the worst thing you can ever do in hockey, is the spin around. You, you overcommitted. You're mad. Yeah. You overcommit and you spin. And, again, that's a rookie mistake. Just like Kara's, like it's a. These are big mistakes in a crucial moment from Kara and Puliarvi on the on the play. And then the shot itself and may McDavid. have been tipped, may have been tipped, and McDavid. And then McDavid's also does the flyby screen with the Winnipeg Jets uh, forward on that goal against. So uh, those kind of defensive errors, they didn't have them in the first two games to speak of really, but they had them here in an absolutely critical and crucial moment, and it's going to cost them the season. Although, you know what, David, since you brought up Kulikov, the Larson-Kulikov pair was on the air for a critical goal against in all three games. Yeah. Because remember, yeah. it was it was the split defense play in, in game one. Uh, it, was, it was the double screen in overtime in game two, and then this one in game three. And they're supposed to be your shutdown pairing. And I just mm -hmm. felt with the overtime shot in the last game that – Chris Russell doesn't let that shot through. Like he, he, he will stop that. He, he will not right. have, yeah. he won't have that happen. So maybe that's unfair. And that's certainly second guessing after the fact or 20, 20, 20 times. But it's just, I, I just think they miss him. They miss that guy. And uh, he would have definitely would have helped in a game like this tonight when they started to leak, you know, Larson came out um, after the uh, power play goal um, by Winnipeg. And he made three good defensive plays in one shift. He stopped them in the neutral zone. He stopped a pass um, coming into the slot, and he stopped. He, he chipped away the puck as it was coming over the blue line. He, that's the kind of settled veteran play that the Oilers needed from, from Nurse and other players at that moment, Ethan Bear, Kulikov, and they just didn't get it from enough of them, and that's why uh, the Jets were able to come back. There just wasn't that veteran take-charge defensive play from a – from enough of them uh, that Adam Larson had exhibited. I wish he just could have played the whole rest of the game, honestly. But he couldn't. Who are we at now? Uh, is it, uh, just give me a second here. and I Is it me now, I think? Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Um, on a brighter note, um, <laughs> Zach Cassian played his best game of the season and maybe his best game in the last couple of years. Uh, this was close to the Zach Cassian we saw in the last time the Oilers were in the real playoffs. Um, he was terrific all game long, scored a great goal and, and beat Shifley on the back check 
to the net to get the, the beautiful pass from Dreisaitl, uh, to thread the needle and put it in. He was physical. He was smart. He was flying. Um, you know, when they put Zach Cassian in the lineup in game one, I think a lot of people were quite fairly asking, boy, really, we haven't seen the real Zach Cassian in a long while. And to be fair, we really didn't see him in the first two games either. But he showed up tonight. Um, and you know what? When you had a performance like that from a from an emotional difference-making player, if you win this game, chances are that puff of wind is still in your sails going into game four. Um, but it's going to be a whole lot tougher for him to recreate that now with, with the letdown that we experienced in game three. So I, I thought Cassian was great. But part of the problem of the meltdown here is that a lot of guys who had great performances, like Cassian, like Dreisaitl, um, that, that stuff is really going to get lost in the background because there's, there, there's too much smoke in the way. Yeah. Why do we have the great eight chances at Bruce? It's really close again in this game. This is another really 16 to 18 for the Jets. Yeah. Not yeah, a really super yeah. close game. So, yeah, yeah I'm not. I, I'm really despondent at the loss, but not like not mm -hmm. overall about this team. And um, it, it's obviously very frustrating. Cassian, I love that he's playing the first goal. He took up two men in front of the net, mm -hmm. and that was part of the Dreisaitl's great play there. And just uh, of course, of course yeah, he sure does weird things defensively, though. Like he wanders all over the place, <laughs> eh? Like behind the net or. Oh, there was one play where he was like 60 feet, no apparent reason. But he uh, he brought his strengths to this game, and th those strengths included getting into the scrums with a couple of the big Jets, uh, Lowry and Stanley, the two biggest guys on the team. And that's kind of what they needed because uh, Stanley kind of been running around here in Edmonton without much of a response from anyone, including Cassian. Well, he got a response tonight, and that's the guy that uh, Archibald tried to hit too, right? But Yep. He uh, he crossed the line in the process. So there's irony for you. Uh -huh. Where Josh Archibald crossed the line and Zach Cassian didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Uh, someone says, "Are you serious, David Staples? We should have won this game. It was a gimme." I, people are taking a, a exception to my Russell comment, and I'm not saying they necessarily would have won the game with Chris Russell. I just think. He does. He is that player who, when you need a defensive stop, he makes it. And um, watching him all these years, we've seen it repeatedly. I think it's a fair comment, and I'll, I will uh, stick to that. I'll back you up on that. He should have won this game, full stop. Yes, agreed. Exactly. It was. Yeah. It's just it's, mm -hmm. a lot of the guys needed just to make better defensive plays. Bruce, I think are we at you now, or is it? Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So. We talked earlier about Kulikov. Remember the other guy's name who came up at the trade deadline? Uh, Luke Glendening, right-handed face-off whiz that uh, uh, won over 60% of his face-offs, penalty killer for Detroit. And the general take was he's good on face-offs, not good enough on anybody else. Face-offs are not that important. Well, I'll tell you how unimportant face-offs are. Tonight there was 24 face-offs in Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers' end of the ice, and the Oilers won four of the 24 and Winnipeg won 20 of the 24, uh, including the face-off that led to the power play goal that started the epic collapse. And then, of course, directly losing the face-off that went bam in the net for the game-winning goal. The Oilers' inability to win face-offs, especially defensive-type 
was a huge factor in them blowing this lead and losing this game. Huge. On the night they were 23, 23 of 62 for 37 percent. So side of their zone, they were 19 for 19 against. Like the, the, all of that deficit occurred behind their own blue line. And it crushed them because Winnipeg were establishing possession draw after draw. Smith would make a save, cover the puck, and it wouldn't matter because the puck would go right back to Winnipeg on the opposing faceoff. Edmonton could not uh, win a draw. And it was immensely caught. You know, as a factor, uh, that's one factor that cost them the game. They could have won this game with, with one decent, reliable guy, especially a right shot. Who could win a face-off on that side of the ice, and they just don't have that guy. Yeah, well, the overtime uh, goal is right off the face-off, right? So sure was. Ooh. Yeah, Kara uh, Drysaddle was two out of eight on the D zone. Kara was one out of eight, and he got kicked out of the circle twice. And Shore went zero and two, so that line went one for ten in the defensive zone. It was them that uh, got burned. It wasn't even like a battle puck, like a, a, a saw-off where the winger had to go and win it. Nope, it was a pass right to Ehlers, bam, in the net. Uh, I thought uh, on that winning goal, I would have liked Mike Smith to, to make that save. I know mm-hmm. it was a hell of a shot. It was a great shot, shot. but it's from it's from outside, and it's he's no one's screening him, and it's an outside shot. And... Yeah. Um, it's off a set play. So I, I think you can, like he, he seemed, the goalies are always far back in their nets now. But it seems to me on that particular play where you know the shot might be coming from, you can start out fairly high, maybe move back. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm not an expert on goaltending, but I just, he got beat on that one glove side. Um, he he did play, he played pretty well uh, overall. He had some good I'd saves. Say. He put out a few fires along put it down the stretch of the game he just didn't have the big stops and yeah i wish he, i wish he had that one obviously and i think he i think he should have had that one i think i think a goalie in the nhl should make that stop and um he didn't how about it. the tying goal the one that harvey just barely tipped and it fluttered and somehow it went under smith's glove from like 40 feet out see that's uh, that's the one i had more trouble with that goal than i did mm-hmm. with the overtime goal i know david and i don't see 100 percent eye to eye on that but that that's the one yeah it was a tip but i thought it was an awfully long tip and he should have had the chance to recover and didn't you know the only other contributing factor to that was just as the puck was in the air, McDavid and the Jets forward flew by. It was one of those flash screens. That There's a tip at the same time. So two bad things happen at once, a tip and a flash screen. Maybe any, if it was just the tip, Kurt, I would agree with you, but I think that screen also really, um, mm-hmm. if it moved the puck at all, um, it would have uh, screwed up Smith. Initially, I thought that was a great B chance because of this the, the screen and the, the tip. It was kind of, I thought it was a pretty tough one in the end. Although I agree with you, like, it certainly looked bad. It felt bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only when I thought about it. Is it fair to, to say that he shouldn't have mm-hmm. saved or not? I kind of leaned towards, well, that was, there was a couple tough, really tough things that happened there to contribute to that goal going in. I really like Bruce's point about face-offs. You know, I, I played a fair bit of good hockey when I was a much younger man. I've covered lots of good hockey. Uh, I've never talked to a hockey player or a coach who thought that face-offs were unemployment, unimportant. Not one. And I know there's a few people out there that insist 
that they're not. I don't think it's anybody on 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 this podcast. Uh, but I in in like forty years of being involved in hockey, I've never talked to uh, a person in organized hockey who thought faceoffs were un, unimportant. And so I look sideways at the people who tell me that today, and tonight is further evidence of that. Just as Bruce said. Uh, well, well, it's Kurt. it's in the margins, Kurt. Like it's in the one or two or three percent, and and it probably only makes a big difference in in a fraction of games. But this was certainly one of those games, and there's times, and we, we talked about this for the trade deadline. Said there'll be a game, sometime in the playoffs, where they might wish they had that, you know, the faceoff whiz that have, and that night happens to be tonight. So. Kurt, I have to own to being one of the people who now and then will say face-offs aren't that important. I, well, I wouldn't say they're not important. They're one more battle. Every battle in they're hockey one. is important. But they are just one more battle. And But there, it's a kind of a different kind of battle uh, because everyone is set up, usually have fresh troops out there. They're set up in a defensive structure. It's not chaos. So if you lose that battle, it's not as bad as losing some battles. But um, obviously they're important, especially on the power play losing face-offs on the power play that, you know, the other team can then dominate the puck for 30, 40, 50 seconds, right off that one win at even strength. I think they can, they can, we can count on one hand, probably the time at even strength this year, a face-off contributed to a goal against just happens. That was one of them tonight. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say just drawing a straight line to a goal against isn't the only way to measure the effectiveness of face-offs. It, it boils down to possession. Uh, and, and when you don't have possession of the puck, uh, not only are you not threatening at the other end, but you're defending at your end. And if you have offensive players on the ice, you're spending their time defending in, instead of attacking. So I, I'll stand by my comment. Most players, any player I've ever talked to or, or dealt with, always thought they were a pretty integral part of the game. So I'll, I'll, I'll stand by my rant. <laughs> good, good. For the one puck battle... <laughs> that gets measured right and there's yeah, all yes. those battles along and then they rarely get me measured unless there's a clear giveaway or takeaway they they count some and not at least every face off they do count them i thought there was maybe one or two tonight that i thought like they said leon lost the face off that on the play that led to the power play goal when the puck went forward from him from what by about a foot and then he powered his way in there and pulled it back and it looked to me like a clear win for leon but they called out yeah so, i, I know, agree I mean, with you on some that. of it some some of it's you know judgment calls but uh some you know it, it is the one that gets measured so it's kind of it's kind of like the, uh, you know the weather vane how's your team doing on winning face-offs well you you can look at your puck battles well face-offs are one and i've seen nights where a team sucked in the face-off circle the other battle so it doesn't always tell you a whole lot it gives you an idea i would count tonight on puck battles along the walls but it would take a herculean effort because there was a whole lot of them <laughs> yeah i mean ethan bear i don't know how many battles he was in he lost a he won quite a, uh but time and again the puck would go into his corner and and uh by the time it came out of that corner it would be on a winnipeg player's stick wouldn't necessarily be a giveaway or a poor play it would just be a, a battle lost in the corner and and he was uh uh he, he he that was one player that stood out to my eye and i'm a huge fan of ethan bear but i thought he he was uh uh winnipeg 
him at times. And Dave Tippett thought the opposite. He said he thought Bear was fine. He got asked the question by somebody who apparently had seen what I'd seen, but he said, and protecting his player maybe, but he said uh, uh, he thought Bear, Bear was fine on the first pairing and he wasn't going to change it, which was the key to the question. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back to Barry either. I like tonight better, but I do think Barry was part of the collective kind of collapse towards the end of the game. Like he had his bad moments out there. And, um, yeah, so. it's pretty difficult to say changing one or two things yeah. was going to reverse <laughs> that. That was a that was an avalanche of things, right? Indeed. Yeah. All right, let's continue on, and I'm going to go to a good thing, which is. Um, the play of the 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 uh, Smurf line, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, Tyler Ennis, and Gaetan Haas, and um, I thought they were really good. I thought that I don't know what the they didn't give up much on the in terms of grade A chances. Let me just uh, do a quick look here, and um, but they did almost score in overtime. They. Uh, yeah. Haas, uh, the Winnipeg player, turned it over the puck, and Haas jumped on it because of his speed. The speed did work out there, and he flipped it to Yamamoto, who had two really good chances in tight. Would have been obviously fantastic if he had scored. He did not score, but that line was was smoking it all night. They were they were getting out there, going fast, battling hard. They looked dangerous. They they at least got it even, I think, in the play. Um, they were in Winnipeg, and they and they felt dangerous. Like it felt like they actually might get a goal. And that's not surprising because Anis and, and uh, Yamamoto are both strong offensive wingers. Uh, yeah, I liked the fourth line. I, I, I liked all these lines, actually. The the second line worked out better than, than I thought it was going to work out, too. I thought it was Nugent Hopkins' best game of the playoffs, Cassian's best game of the playoffs. Um, you know, Jujar Kara scored that great goal. He gave it back at the other end shortly thereafter. But I thought, the, you know, and the top line was, was generally pretty good as well. So... The lines were good. I don't have a big problem with the pairings. I would prefer to see Chris Russell in over Kulikov if he's healthy. But other than that, uh, uh, I think Tippett got it right with the lines uh, and the strategy. It, everything was working. They were getting the outside shots. They were getting the, the scramble play goals. Uh, they were putting pressure on the Jets. And then, you know, Archibald's penalty starts off the cascade of evil, the sequence of pain. Give him an inch. Next up, we will go to Kurt. What's your final uh, item for tonight? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, that second line, so I'm going to want to talk a little bit about Ryan McLeod, who uh, who got two really quality uh, chances to score tonight. I thought he played a really smart defensive game, uh, very effective. His speed on the forecheck is 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 highly effective. Uh, I didn't think he looked out of place. Uh, in, in the middle of those two wingers on that second line at all. Um, the one blemish in his game, he, he was he was under, I think he was 17% on face-offs tonight, whereas ever since he came up from Bakersfield, he's been a solid face-off guy. Uh, and he just wasn't feeling it tonight. And so they made the switch. And you might have noticed at one point in the third period, Nugent Hopkins started taking the face-offs on that line. And actually, Nugent Hopkins was about the only guy on the team that had any luck at all on the dot tonight. Um, but otherwise, every time I see uh, Ryan McLeod, I keep thinking, uh, "Boy, if that guy if that guy can be your third line center next year on an entry level contract, it sure gives Ken Holland uh, no. more money to spend on other areas." And after watching this tonight, um, 
you can be more and more convinced that Ken Holland needs to spend money on other areas. So uh, I'm really pleased with the with the progression of Ryan McLeod and and uh, arrows up for the kid. Yeah, I guess they're, they're going to still need that right. If they need if if you think faceoffs are that crucial, they're going to need that guy on the right side, uh, right shot guy to, to take faceoffs. And it doesn't Haas has never developed into that guy. Haas nope. is a, I, I like Haas as a utility player. I don't know if he'll hmm. be back. He he had a good game tonight. Yeah, I think Haas is, I have time for Haas. I just think he's a 13th forward. And, and yeah. part of the reason is in that role, you do have to win draws. And he just doesn't. And 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 he doesn't score either. He 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 gets to places fast. I think he's an intelligent player. I admire that in. Uh, but he's not a well-rounded player. Uh, I was one of those people at the deadline who thought they should have gone out and got Glenn Denning or got Sutter from Vancouver, who ended up hurt, so it was irrelevant. But... I really thought they should have gotten gone out and got those one of those guys, and uh, I think the fact that they didn't maybe didn't make a big difference uh, uh, the rest of the season, and maybe not even in game one and game two. But I agree with Bruce; it uh, made a difference tonight. I do like McLeod; he's a very fast player. Sometimes I wish he would be a bit more physical. I think that's what people have been watching him throughout his career have always wished with McLeod that he, when he goes in on the forecheck mm-hmm. that he uses his body now and then. He doesn't. Yeah. You know what? That's and, totally fair. I agree with and, that. And um, yeah. that's, I don't know, that maybe that's not in him. It's not in every player to, to be that mm-hmm. player, but uh, it would be something that would keep him in the NHL, I think. Because he's got everything else. Size, right? Yeah, with his size and speed. He's yeah. got good hands. So if you could add a physical aspect to his game, just hitting, he doesn't have to do anything other than that. Just use your body a little bit more to win pucks because he seems to almost hold up when he goes into the corner, like instead mm-hmm. of engaging physically. So, uh, Bruce, uh, what's your final item no i'm going to give some kudos to the third defense pairing of uh slater cuckoo and tyson berry uh i thought they had they had a very strong uh game together uh cuckoo earned and on the um uh first edmonton goal with the shot from outside the one that kind of hit the traffic and actually bounced favorably to dry uh, but he ended uh, he ended the the night with that one assist and a, a plus two uh, uh, ranking. Uh, Barry was a plus one player on the on the night, uh, and they just I mean the shots on net when Kukuk was on the ice, sixteen to three for Edmonton, fourteen to three when Barry was out there, and Barry was involved in some pretty dangerous plays in the third period. I mean, that one shot that he took that Nuge tipped out of the air and it bounced off the ice and it looked like it was going right into the top corner. That was a fantastic save by uh, Connor Hellebuck. Because those pucks that go down, the lacrosse ones that go down and bounce off the floor and up, and the goalie's, the goalie's reaction is to track the puck and, and you're tracking it downwards and all of a sudden it's going upwards and over. And oftentimes you'll see those wicked bounces off the ice and up go in the net. And I thought this one would, and Halibut was able to get his shoulder and his blocker somehow on it. That was a phenomenal save. That was off a, a very outside shot. And I, I thought he, he looked more comfortable than he's looked, and maybe that's because he's in the right role in the third pairing tonight. Uh, and he had the puck. He was doing positive things with him, and I, I wasn't seeing him getting overwhelmed on... Uh, any kind of defensive coverage plays. I don't know, David, if you got the scoring chances. Yeah, just one. For, mis- uh, yeah, I do. Just one mistake Barry. by Barry. Uh, uh-huh. We had him. Um, let me just go to Barry. Allows a, a cross seam pass 
Uh, Yamamoto fails to block the shot. Cuckoo screens the goalie on a wicked point, bla- point blast. That was that kind of miraculous save by Smith, where the screen was so, his arm out. so enormous. Right. Somehow mm-hmm. he got his. It was so. This is an outside shot. So Barry allowed the the pass. The, Winnipeg is down in the corner. There's a diagonal pass right across the ice to the point man, and that was through Barry's stick. So that was the only one that we tagged him on. Yeah, he had. A, I thought he had a very good game, Bruce. His best game of the playoffs, and he's being used. You know, Kurt pointed it out. He's the third pairing, uh, even strength defenseman, top power play defenseman. He was used in his proper role tonight, and the Oilers looked better because of it. I thought generally speaking, until the meltdown. Uh, I, I wonder if Slater Cuckoo, he, he's probably done enough in this series to, to quiet all the Caleb Jones um, fans who want Jones in every game. I, I may be incorrect about that, but Slater Cuckoo has been steady. He's been the definition of steady and efficient. I just, I sign him up. He's earned another contract in my books. He's, he's a good hockey player and he's not that old. He's only, what is he, 26, 27? He's got two or three years, so... I think he's a very could be a very useful depth D man. Yeah, he, you know what he doesn't move bad. He he moves the puck okay. He he ticks a lot of little boxes in good ways. I agree. I I see him good too, David. You know, I don't see him with the potential really to move up into nope. the top pairing. But you need those defensemen who are cheap, who provide good depth because yep. players get injured. Yep. And um, he's outperformed this year both William Lagason and Caleb Jones. I think um, when he's had that opportunity, so. The orders are the orders. have a number of good, solid depth defensemen now, and those three guys. They might lose one or two of them in, over the summer, but uh, both Lagason and Jones have contracts, for instance. So we'll see what happens there. But I definitely think they should bring Cuckoo back. I thought his game was slipping before he got hurt, uh, but since he came back, like he played the last game of the season, he was okay. And in this series, he's been good. Somebody on the broadcast crew tonight said he was the best defenseman on the Oilers in the series, and. I'm sort of thinking, well, that's a bit of a surprise now, isn't it? But it was kind of hard to gainsay the comment. Like, he, yeah. he certainly covered the bat at his position and the minutes that he's getting. He's uh, he's not been the problem. He's yeah, not and that's a major injury he's coming. Yeah. yeah, and that's a major injury he's coming back from too, right? And and to go from, from that to one game in the regular season and then bam into the playoffs and have those kind of results, that's hard. You know, I give him credit for that. Oh, geez, I just yeah. had a moment. You know, through this game, I was just sitting there thinking, oh, God, we got this one in the bank. But, you know, we're going to, they can come back. They can do this. We have this. Yeah. This is going to happen. You know, we're going to, it's going to be two to one after this. They can come. They got the momentum going. They can win mm-hmm. this series still. And it's just, just washed over me again. Sorry. I had to interview. Well, you know, the, the percentages. Moment of despair. Yeah. The percentages, I think I wrote in my column this morning, you know, teams who lose the first two games of a best of seven. You know, 85% of the time they go on to lose the series. But at 2-1, uh, it's it's 55-45. It's a huge difference, right? That win tonight gives you way better odds. But at 3 nothing, I I saw the percentage, and it's something like 95%. Like, it's it's slim, brother. It's only happened, I think, four three times. times? If I'm, three or four, four times? times four I times. think I read... The last LA yeah. in 2014 against the Sharks. Did LA go right. on and win the cup? Yeah. After they that? did. They, they did, did, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. do this, Edmonton Oilers. Here we go. I, you know, I obviously don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Toronto did it uh, in the 42 Stanley Cup finals. Uh, the Islanders did it in 75. They came from 3 nothing down against Pittsburgh, I think it was. And then uh, Boston and Philadelphia had a series. Uh, 
uh, a number of years ago, I think 2010, the finals where Boston was up three Cobb and they couldn't close it out. And then the LA one that you it's going from memory, and maybe there's another one that I've forgotten, but four sounds about right. And geez, I've seen in my lifetime uh, scores of sweeps, you know, like I bet you there's been a hundred sweeps. Just call it five percent, like Hurt says, and that might be on the optimistic side. Especially, like, how do they bounce back tomorrow? Crushing disappointment. They just no. go out and play their game one more time, and and uh, they can beat the Jets. I mean, these these games have all been really even. Could have gone to either team. They've gone three times in a row to the Jets. It's like flipping a coin. Sometimes when you flip a coin three times, you get heads each time. Mm-hmm. Well, this time we got tails. But that's what this series has been. Like honestly, like if, if people are losing their minds about this series, it's I I'm not on. This is doesn't have the feel of the Chicago series at all. This isn't like that. This has been a very even series where the owners have just lost the coin flip three times in a row it happens it sucks and it, it seeing dry saddle after the game you know you just i just felt for the guys i don't know if you saw the mm-hmm. photos of him he's just so disheartened I didn't. but you, you can see anyone who's ever battled hard for anything in life and has lost out on it okay. it it hurts it it sucks and at any level of hockey minor hockey uh major junior any level of junior hockey it just always sucks and it haunts you for <laughs> For a long time afterwards, I can. I'm still haunted by the debacle on Manchester. Still haunted well, to this go. day, and I didn't even play in it. I just watched it. I'm not by any of that, but it's just a minor hockey coach. You, you lose games, mm-hmm. and you just can't forget about them for a long time. They eventually fade away. Uh, but this, this is you know, for Oilers fans, I think this is gonna not good. Well, Final well comments? I, I just don't understand. Is so okay. This will be mine. What I don't understand is how you can play so good, and I'm for 45 to 50 minutes. And I would argue that the Oilers started to lose command of this game. Play for a puck over glass penalty early in the third period, up 4-1, and they did nothing with it. They just wild away the two minutes without even apparently trying to score. And from but from doing so much right and having so much commitment and, and uh, 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 willpower and all of a sudden one thing goes wrong and it's like the roof caved in. Where were, where was the, where was within the team to, uh, uh, to cope with the, you know, the one goal against shouldn't mean, mean the end of the world. And they just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot of excitement in overtime, was there? Like, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, yeah, more shots. He had two, I think, Cassian, on that one play. Cassian had the tip shot off Larson's mm-hmm. nice shot. So so they had the first three grade-A chances, but then Winnipeg started to take over, and the rest is Oilers history. Maybe, you know, <laughs> how many times have the Winnipeg Jets fans been in this situation against the Edmonton Oilers? Maybe fair is fair. Kurt, any final thoughts? Um, other than, you know, the as if tonight's result and, and the way it resulted wasn't bad enough, um, because of the overtime, you had to tax your key players even further uh, with the back-to-back games. So this mm-hmm. back-to-back situation, which just as easily could have penalized the Jets, it was the same for both sides. But in this situation, I think it, it, it penalizes the Oilers. 
uh, and your team is just that much more tired and people will say, well, Winnipeg played the same number of minutes. Yeah, but oh, they I won. Know. It feels, trust me, it feels way different. <laughs> uh, you feel way more tired than when you lose than when you win. So, Yeah, hard to imagine that they, they could come back, but they, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Like, it, I'm not saying come back in the series, but just for mm-hmm. the next game. Could, will they go with Mike Smith, I wonder, or will they go with Koskinen? I mean, the, the, the goalie thing is particularly an issue because the goalie's 39, he played not just a game, he played a game in, you know, extra 10 you can't, minutes You can't pull him now in an elimination game. It wouldn't be, the fan base would go crazy. The player, you know. Yeah. Brought them this far. But, you know, as Kurt says, playing 70 minutes tonight instead of 60 is a lot tougher on the 39-year-old goalie than on the 28-year-old goalie. Yep. And when you have guys playing... Uh, 28 minutes, uh, sorry, 31 minutes nurse, second game in a row, he's over 30 minutes. Dry saddle, 28 minutes, second game in a row, he's out 28 minutes. That's a lot of minutes. And when they play Friday till Monday, it's going to be mighty tough to gear it back up tomorrow. And I almost wonder if some of the stuff, as they went down the stretch in this game, and the big line was not very good in the last half of the third period or in the overtime. They couldn't get out of their own end or generate any kind of structured offense at all. Uh, I wonder if they kind of hit the wall a little bit. That wall is going to be mighty tall tomorrow morning, 0-3 down. And frankly, they have to be questioning themselves at this point. Lead, you know. Indeed. Let's leave it there, gentlemen. Thanks for talking tonight, Kurt. Thanks for talking, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.